thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. So friends, the theme of our conference this year is church planting, and our goal as a church is to participate in 500 new church plants by the year 2030. We want to be a part of 500 new church plants by the year 2030, and today we want to share a little bit about why we feel the Lord is calling us to do that, and how we feel he is calling us to go about it. Uh, You'll hear from me, and then in a few moments you'll hear from Piers, our Director of Global Mission. And in my time, I'd like to share three stories with you. Three stories from from local church plants that that we have videos from, each of which makes an important point when it comes to our goal. But before we do that, let's first give our attention to to God's Word. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16 of this passage. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we give you thanks for your word and your great love toward us in Christ. Come and make this love uh, fresh and new in our hearts this morning. And help us to live in light of it, especially as we think of your call to plant gospel churches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we want to plant 500 churches? Well, first of all, point one, because church planting is a faithful response to the gospel of Jesus. Faithful response to the gospel of Jesus. Now, it's important, isn't it, as always, that we get the gospel order right. Here's one way to think about it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus tells us that he came to bring light into our darkness so that people can be saved through him. And then, to to people that he has already saved, he says what? Now, you are the light of the world. Isn't that intriguing? I am the light of the world, and because I am, now you are the light of the world. The work I began, I'm continuing through you. I want you to continue to shine so that other people might be brought to me. In other words, this work of gospel church planting is is a response to his love to us. He loves us, so we do the work. It's not that we do the work, 
in order that he might love us. We believe that as he has brought light to our darkness, Jesus is doing that still, and he's doing it through us. He's doing that through his church. And friends, you understand that this gospel is why we, we don't hate the world. We're not on some endless culture war to condemn and berate people who don't know Jesus. Why? Because that's not how Christ has dealt with us. He himself said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And that's the heart that we want. When we were lost in the dark, Jesus came to meet us where we are, that we might find life in him. And so with his love, with his compassion, we want to go out into the darkness, meet people where they are, that they might find life in him. It's been said that it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Christians, that's who we are. We are a people who light candles, not a people who, who curse darkness. And that's really what church planting is. We move out into the darkness. We meet people where they are, and we light a candle of hope, gospel hope that they might be saved as we have been saved. Here's how we're doing that. How we're doing that through one of our church plants, House of Mercy in Asheville. One day I was driving home from the methadone clinic, just like I did every day. And I fell asleep at the wheel and I hit another vehicle and I killed a driver of that vehicle. Um, it, it got really bad. I remember sitting on the couch at night thinking, I cannot continue to drink like this and live. I was in a, a really dark place when um, I started House of Mercy. I, I was done with, I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. I didn't want to be in ministry at all. I'm, these people are saying things like, Chad, if you started a church, these are people that are not, that don't identify as Christian even, were like, I, I might go to that church. We say House of Mercy is not a building or a place, but a people, and you belong. The first watershed moment in my life was the birth of my second child. Benjamin was born. Ben spent the first two weeks of his life in the NICU. Four months after he was born, they still didn't know what was going on, and it wasn't until then they did an MRI, and that revealed he was was born with what's called agenesis of the corpus callosum. So, so born with part of his, his brain missing. That, and the second diagnosis is optic nerve hypoplasia, so a visual impairment. I remember being in, I was on the staff of a little church, and when I got the news over the phone of, of this diagnosis of what was happening, I, I, I just, I 
physically just fell to the floor and face down. And uh, it's it's um it's hard to articulate, but um that that was a time when when God became father to me because I, I really needed one, and that um I felt just uh, held by God. House of Mercies is connected to that. Fast forward. 15 years. Ben takes communion at our church now as a 17-year-old because he belongs. You see, that, like that kind of, that's been working out in my life in terms of vision for church. It all began right there. House of Mercy is intimately tied to, to my son and that experience. House of Mercy is a church that's just really focused on the marginalized. It's a place where you can feel like you really belong. When we say we're not a building or a, a place, but a people, and you belong, I think that's the beauty of House of Mercy. You don't have to be anything but yourself. certain people who have suffered and who have had their legs knocked, knocked out from under them, they just have a head start in understanding the kingdom. The people that Jesus hung out with having a head start on understanding things, but it's not who society would expect. It's not who the religious society would expect to get things. Women who who were in prison and get a, a pass and can come to church with us. Um, they love it. And some of them end up staying here in Asheville when they get out of prison and are in our church now. Um, I think sometimes um, people are shocked that they're embraced. I just had this idea in my mind of how life was going to be for me. I wanted a family. I wanted a happy home. I just wanted to be loved and in a peaceful place. That's not what my reality became. After the accident, after the impact, I woke up. I could hear EMTs saying, I can't find a pulse. And then at some point after that, I lost consciousness and walked back up in the hospital with that knowledge. But I had a, a ventilator, I couldn't talk, and I couldn't ask any questions. I couldn't say, who did I kill? How many people did I kill? What, what And I needed um, understanding because I was already terrified. I knew I had methadone in my system, even though it was legally prescribed. I was terrified. When they sentenced me, I kind of went into shock Four years, three months. And I thought, well, my life really is over now because I've messed up so bad. There's no coming back from this. Every ounce of guilt and grief and shame just came crashing down on me. It was so heavy. And I thought, you know, I have 
caused someone so much pain. Because of that, I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to have a future. And I wanted to die. When I was sitting there thinking about that, I had a supernatural experience. I felt God speak to me in my spirit. And he told me it was no accident, I'm alive. He has a purpose for me. And if I would come to him, he would heal me. I don't know, I don't care what anybody says. I know God spoke to me because my life changed in that moment. I surrendered. I completely surrendered and then I was flooded with a peace, that, that peace that surpassed understanding, that supernatural peace. I knew in that moment I was gonna make it through and I was gonna somehow be better for it because I felt that God was gonna use me Paul says, the kingdom does not consist in eloquence of speech, but in power. And then he also says, God's glory is manifested best in weakness. And so this is what that means by just simply showing up as your vulnerable self, you open the door for the kingdom to break through. We experience this every Sunday morning at the prison. We experience the kingdom breaking through as these people who are incarcerated are just allowing, they feel safe for one, which is, which is a miracle. And they're allowing these two things to happen. Their vulnerability uh, is, is opening up the doorway for honesty and authenticity so that the kingdom might break through. And we're seeing transformation as a result. So, so what the kingdom does is it transforms the world. I thought an alcoholic was somebody who lived under a bridge and, you know, had a trench coat and didn't, you know, beat their children. And I raised amazing kids. I have uh, six amazing kids and they're fantastic. And so all these things kept me from really seeking what was, what was wrong because I believed in God and I had great kids and I showed up to work. And so it was really the emotional, mental and spiritual bottom that I hit one day. And when I walked into the rooms of AA, I was so desperate at that time for something different. In those rooms, the vulnerability that we show and that we can expose, you know, it's not putting on spiritual lipstick on a Sunday and showing up and then going home and living your life. It's the trenches, and that's where I believe God is, with us in the weaknesses and in our poverty of spirit. And, um, you know, I believe that a lot of times in the church we talk a lot about how we should think and what we should believe, but are we talking about the actions of Jesus and who Jesus was and what he did when he walked on the earth? God helps the poor the marginalized, the oppressed, the ones that nobody else cares about. And so that has become um, the biggest part of my sobriety. At House of Mercy, we are taking the love and mercy and grace that has been extended to us and um, giving it to others 
as part of what we believe Jesus, when Jesus walked to this earth, was the best example of. When I was released from prison, that's, that's who was at the gate. I didn't have family waiting at the gate for me. They were the family. They were the family standing there, welcoming me back into the world. I don't just show up at church and try to look like I fit in. Like, I have a seat at the table. There are a few things I am sure of. Ain't nobody got it easy. Even though we don't know who you are, by virtue of having being, we can say to you, you belong here. And now we're going to try to live into and up to that standard that Jesus gives us in the gospel. Standing on the edge of a confession Waiting for the sorrow the love of Christ filter, that's what we all need to look through. It changes the world. That's how we change the world, as we start looking through the, that filter. Pastor receives a, a terrible diagnosis about his son, falls to his knees in his office and experiences the love of the Father. This leads him to, to plant a church, bringing the light he had received to others. And now those members are doing the same thing, taking the light that they have received and sharing it with others. Church planting is a faithful response to the gospel. But there's a second reason that we plant churches. Not only is it faithful, but it is also fruitful. These stories that we have heard are beautiful, but we could add that they are not all that unusual. Why? Because not only is church planting the right response to the gospel, in God's economy, it also works. It's faithful and it's fruitful. Tim Keller went as far as to say this, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy. Planting churches is the most important thing you can do for one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city. It's the best way to see new believers come to Christ. And two, second, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in the city. Now that's a little wordy, but don't miss the two elements that he is emphasizing. First of all, that church plants are the best way to reach new believers. Now, that might surprise us. We might think special events, crusades, parachurch ministries, and other things might be more effective uh, when it comes to reaching new believers, but the statistics don't bear that out. The statistics tell us that church planting is the most effective way to reach new believers. Consider this. The average commitment to Christ in church plants are 11 in the first year, 
14 in the second year, 18 in the third year, and 17 in the fourth year. Now, uh, remember that most of these congregations are less than 100 people in, in size, and so that's an incredible number of people who are coming to Christ through them. 34% of church plants are made up of a majority of unchurched people. Walk into a third of church plants, and over 50% of the people in there will be new believers. Or how about this one? Members of new churches invite people to church more readily than members of established churches. You're more likely to invite a friend to church if you're in a church plant than you are if you are in an established church. Why would that be? Well, probably a couple of reasons. First of all, mission. If you're part of a church plant, you're there because you want to reach other people for, for Jesus. But second, along with mission, we could say um, necessity. If you're, if you're planting a church and there's 12 of you in a middle school gym, you look around and you say, we got to go invite some people. We, we, we need a congregation. And so this combination of mission and, and necessity leads members of church plants to invite their friends more readily than those who attend established churches. Now, hold that in mind when you consider this statistic, that 47% of unchurched Americans, nearly half of all unchurched Americans, will attend church if they're invited by a friend. You surprised by that stat? It was higher than I expected. Half of all Americans, unchurched Americans, will go to church if they're invited by a friend. So now, put those two things together. You have a people who are ready and willing and eager to invite their friends to church, and apparently you have a culture where at least half the people are still willing to go to church. And what happens? Invites are made. People come. New believers come to Christ. Second half, though, of, of Keller's statement emphasizes that not only is church planting the best way to reach new believers in a city, it is also the best way to keep the mother church, the planting church, healthy. In fact, churches that plant churches actually reach more new believers themselves. One study looked at 624 churches that had planted a church and found that the parent churches, the church planting church, uh, witnessed on average a 20% increase in attendance in the five years after they'd planted a church. Isn't that interesting? You'd expect, well, if we're sending people off to plant a church, that, that, our, that our church wouldn't really grow. But actually, the opposite thing happens. Churches that plant churches find that they themselves grow. Why would that be? Well, it turns out that the same, that the outward-facing mindset that would lead you to plant a church will still be present in your pews and cause your own church to grow. If you're a church that says, we have a heart for those who don't know the Lord, so much so that we're going to start a new church, that heart doesn't leave you when you come to church on Sunday morning. And so churches that plant churches tend to grow themselves. Okay, enough for the statistics. Let's watch another story. A story of the fruit that can explode in someone's life through the simple invitation to church. Unless you've been divorced, it's very hard to relate to someone who's divorced. Uh, and I don't think it's because they don't want to understand that. They do. It's just if you haven't been there, you just don't know how lonely it can be and how hard it can be. I uh, moved here in 2003 
in 2008, separated and divorced, and then I became a single parent raising two kids, which was a big adjustment in our life. It was, um, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, didn't have any family here. We were just alone, the three of us, and not a lot of help. Um, there were a lot of things missing in our lives. Um, we were missing church. I was missing a relationship, close relationship with God. Um, I felt like I was kind of drowning. And where was he? Um, I think also missing from my life definitely was community. I, I had my parents in Iowa. I could call them anytime. But beyond that, I had lost a lot of friends in the divorce. And um, I think really the only real community I felt in any small way was work. But that wasn't a real community, and it wasn't a community based around Jesus. So we tried a couple different churches, we tried different places, but we never found a community or really caught traction there. I felt like God was pursuing me in, in a way, and I, I know that feeling from when I, God pursued me the very first time that I became a Christian. And it felt that way again. It was almost like some of the hurt, some of the anger, some of the pain was beginning to subside a little bit. The kids were doing okay. They were off at school. And I felt like God was just kind of tapping me on the shoulder and going, it's time to go a different way. I need you to do this. I need you to be there maybe for someone else, that be a community for someone else that's going through what you're going through. And so a patient of mine, I was talking with him about it, and he mentioned Church of the Redeemer. That was his church. So I decided to go and visit, and uh, I did, and I've never left ever since then. Well, may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Welcome to Church of the Redeemer. I am Dave Strong, lead pastor here at Church of the Redeemer. We are glad you're here. We want to be a church where Jesus is the center of everything we do. I remember walking in and just being instantly welcomed by uh, so many people there. They had the welcome desk there, and of course they introduced themselves. But when you're new, you just walk right by that because you're not sure you should really talk to anyone. So, and then I saw a friend of mine, Laura, from uh, an exercise class we had gone to together. And I didn't know she was a member at the church. It turns out she's the pastor's wife, um, which is great. And several other people walked up to me just wanting to know me, just wanting to, to know about me and get to know me, which was, I thought, amazing. I'd never really experienced that before in a church setting. My life changed immensely at that point. I think um, I got involved in some Bible studies. I felt like I was plugging back in and I was making a connection with the Lord again. I felt His presence more in my life. I felt a sense of community. And that level of acceptance was what I was really needing, I think, in my life and wanting to experience. And Church of the Redeemer did that for me, definitely. One of the ways I'm engaging in community is through this women's small group. So we're, we call ourselves a group of unattached women. And we have uh, women who are divorced, women who are widowed, women who have husbands that maybe don't want to join a small group or come to church. And so we meet together twice a month. And I consider it a great privilege to be able to interact with these women and fellowship with these women and maybe just help them through a time that's difficult. 
This church came at a time when I really, I really needed it. Um, and I, I just feel like God hems me in behind and before. And I feel like that verse has been, whew, sorry, such a, I know that I'm gonna be taken care of. Um, and, and these people are kind of what are hemming me in. And even when you think God's not present in your life, He is, and He is hemming you in behind me before. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar, and you search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, and it is high. I cannot attain it. Yep. That's my go-to. A patient invited Julie to church. She came, and now she says her life has changed immensely because of it. Church planting is faithful, but it is also fruitful. And because of that, we want to be fearless. Church planting is right and it works. And so we want to be unafraid to take some risks, get out there, roll up our sleeves, maybe get a little bit messy and see what God might do along the way. We want to be faithful, but also fruitful. And to do that, we must be fearless. Now, of course, when it comes to any mission endeavor, it's important to be prayerful and discerning and diligent and uh, wise stewards and all of those things. But you know, there also comes a time when you need to get out there and try some stuff. If you want to reach people for Jesus, at some point, you got to go and and actually try it. Because you know when it comes to the work of evangelism and certainly when it comes to the work of church planting, it's really easy to be a critic. It's really easy to sit on the sidelines with your theological dictionary and tell everyone how, how wrong they are. Reminds me of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, what he once said when he was challenged on his approach to evangelism. He said, quote, frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> Cedar Springs, will we get everything right? Absolutely not. But we'll like our way of trying more than our way of not trying. Honestly, friends, that's a good approach to, to all of life, not to be afraid to try things. Don't think that the worst thing that can ever happen to you is that you get something wrong. Put yourself out there. See what might happen. And if that's true for life, how much more true is it in the church? Because isn't it Jesus who said, I will build my church? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The power belongs to Christ. He is the one who is on the move. We are simply keep seeking to keep in step, to participate with him. And so we're not afraid to put some things in his hands and see what he might do with it. Remember what Jesus does with some loaves and some fish? 
Put things in his hands and let's see what he might do with it. Here's the story of an ordinary church member. Maybe one that you've sat beside in these pews and how they were unafraid just to try something in order to reach people for Jesus. When you plant a church, there's an incredible amount of opportunity to reach people that the traditional church would never reach. The church literally is on mission and we're taking the gospel to people through a drive-in theater. This is an outreach post of New Life Gathering and people are coming. They are coming in their cars and their trucks and God is doing an amazing work there. Welcome to New Life Gathering. If you're here, if you're out at Loco Driving, if you're watching online, we're glad you're with us. It's a massive video display in the middle of a field for all practical purposes. Um, but on Sunday morning, it becomes a place for God's message. The works of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives, the ordinary lives of the people who put their trust in Him. The church, the ecclesia, that's what it's all about. That's why we're here. One of our primary goals is to be that place where people can feel comfortable. They can, they can sit within the confines of their own vehicle if they want. They can pull out a lawn chair and sit beside their vehicle. They can go up front and sit with more people that are in a lawn chair. But it's to reach people that otherwise, for whatever reason in their, in their own makeup, they won't, they won't be reached if it weren't for a place like this. I can remember sitting in, you know, for years at Cedar Springs at the Global Mission Conference and, and being overwhelmed with, you know, how people have touched people around the world. And so, you know, that was always in the back of my mind. And so when we decided to, to build this facility, it was natural for us to say, you know, obviously we're going to play movies, we're going to play sporting events, but every Sunday, let's, let's stream church. Maybe that could be our small contribution to something around missions in general. I don't think we really in, anticipated that it would, you know, catch on so quickly and that, that we would have all of a sudden these sort of vibrant Bible studies out of it and, and people joining the church. That I, I would tell you that that wasn't really the plan. The plan was, hey, we're gonna stream church and if one person shows up to see it, it's worth it because for, they're coming for some reason. It does feel like God has is, is got something going on and we just happen to be the vehicle. Gordon saw this as an opportunity to be on mission for Christ, to have a, a place where we would extend the, the reach of new life into a community that was praying for a gathering of people. I think it's imperative that the church continues to find creative ways um, to reach culture. Uh, because the reality is culture is ever evolving and it's ever changing. 
And if we're going to be a part of that culture, if we're going to impact that culture, we have to know how to meet culture where it is without compromising the gospel. We can't plant churches fast enough in our communities because the darkness is overwhelming. Jesus Christ is the light. We have been called as the body of believers to pierce the darkness and to bring the salt and the light into these communities and pierce the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel of his love. Friends, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would make us faithful and fruitful and fearless in the work that you have called us to do. We thank you, Lord, for the stories that we have heard today. For Cara at House of Mercy. For Julie at Church of the Redeemer. And for Garden at New Life Gathering. Lord, it, it's amazing to hear real-life examples of how you have used your church to save, to heal, and then to build up and restore so that these dear souls are now living lives of service to you. Lord, we ask that you would continue to do the same in our own congregation. We pray for our members who are struggling today, perhaps struggling with some of the same things we have heard about in these videos, perhaps struggling with other things instead. But for those who are struggling with loneliness, shame, addiction, grief, health concerns, family matters, mental health, whatever it is that burdens their souls. Lord, use this very service to draw us close to you that we would know your comfort and your presence in our trials. And then, Lord, we pray that you would continue to use us as you have been at work through this congregation for over 200 years. Be pleased to be at work through us still. Would we be faithful in our response to the gospel of Jesus? Would we see great fruit because you are the one who is at work? And would we be fearless as we live our lives for you? And we lift up all these things, Lord, in the name of our Savior, Jesus, that great missionary. Amen. I'd like to invite Pierce, our Director of Global Mission, to come and, come and share with you now. So James has told you the what and the why of our church planting. And I'm sure on the tip of your tongue is, how are we going to do this? How on earth are we as a church going to plant 500 churches in six years? We like stretch targets, but isn't that a little bit too much of a stretch? Well, the simple answer to that question is that we're not going to do it alone. We're going to do it with partners around the world, partners who share the same vision that we do. This initiative is called 202530, and the, the what, the how, is embedded in that vision. We want to work with 20 hubs around the world who on average will plant 25 churches by the year 2030. Now hubs may take a different form. In some cases, there are going to be a group of churches in a city. Uh, for example, in Edinburgh, we are partnering with the Free Church of Scotland, and their vision is to plant 30 churches in Scotland by the year 2030. In other cases, hubs might be an organization like City to City or it could be the Europe Collaboration with whom we partner. This organization brings together church planters, church networks, and donors, 
and their vision is to plant 100 exemplar churches in Europe in as few years as possible. Uh, a hub in India, for example, has got a plan to plant 25, 75 sub-hubs or mini-hubs in 75 key cities in India, and they will plant hundreds of churches. Some hubs, for sure, won't do 25, but on average, these hubs will do 25 churches. So at this conference, we have some of the hub leaders and we have some of the church planters coming in on Wednesday. And these guests will add flesh to our vision. You, you'll be able to go up and talk to them and ask them about how they're doing it. We invite you to come on Friday to Mission Fest. It'll be a real international event uh, as you enjoy the food that's going to be international and you rub shoulders with people, some of whom you're going to talk to through a translator. Of course, the other aspect of the how uh, question is financial. How on earth are we going to do it financially? And to be honest, we're going to have to dig deep as a church financially. But more about this will unfold during the week. So we do invite you to join us on this initiative to expand God's kingdom. You know, for all of us here, if we want to leave a legacy, there is nothing stronger than church planting to leave a legacy that'll last way beyond your lifetime. Think of the people who planted Cedar Springs 227 years ago. They could never have imagined the legacy that they've left this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that Jesus is the light of the world and that you now shine that light through us, his church. Thank you that you're building your church and the defenses of hell cannot stop it. We pray for the 20, 25, 30 initiative that we are launching. We pray that you would help us to step out of faith, to take risks, believing that we can establish 500 churches across the globe by the end of 2030. We pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.